Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys. And uh, it's colder here. I say that every time I come, but it really is. Um, I'm not quite used to it yet. Um, We are finishing off our series today. Sorry, I'm going to move this because I don't want to make some reverb on my voice in a dramatic moment, because that would be awkward. Um, okay, cool. So we are going to finish up our series today, God's Will for Your Life, and um, this whole thing of uh, finding God's will for your life, it's uh, is very exciting, but it can be quite tricky sometimes. Um, the, the concept, God has a plan for you, or God's got a plan for your life, it's so sort of ubiquitous in the Christian faith, so common that it's, you know, we tell people that even when we're preaching the gospel to them, like right in the beginning, we're like, hey, God's got a plan for your life. God's got a will for your life. And we're like, yes, absolutely, we believe it. And then you're saved and you start down the process and sometimes you figure out it's quite tricky, actually, to find that will sometimes. And you're like, we, so on the one hand, it's like we absolutely believe it. On the other hand, there's moments of going, God, I know you've got a plan for my life, but where is it? Is this it? Are you sure it's it? Because it doesn't feel like it's it. Um, anyone know what I'm talking about? Um, so I found myself in various stages with this figuring out God's will for my life stuff. Uh, I've been in the, the stage of life where, like, I was so scared of getting it wrong. Like, I was praying, God, I want your will for my life. And I was so scared, like, God was going to speak to me. I was going to miss it. And then my whole life would be ruined. It was kind of like this fear-driven aspect to discovering God's will for my life. Um, and so it's like you'd be praying, and you'd sense God do something, and you're like, was that you? I think it was you. Was that you, or did I just skip a meal? Like, I'm not sure, because I'm feeling kind of weird inside, but I think, you know, and it's, it's almost like this, like the, the will of God is like, it's there, but you could just miss it so easily, you know? Uh, and so I was kind of driven by fear, and in different other uh, seasons of life, it's like I've been so confident that I was, Uh, being led by God. It's like you'd pray a prayer and some door would open. And if you aren't normally in church, that's a Christianese, meaning that God creates an opportunity that you take. Okay. But for Christians, we say a door's opened and you're like, ah, it's not like doors are surrounding Christians everywhere in unusual ways. Um, It's just that there's an opportunity comes up and you take it and everything happens. And you're like, you're so certain you're hearing from God and it's so exciting. And then other times it's been like years and I'm like, God, I know you told me to come here, but I'm here now and it's been quite some time. So what now? And you pray and then it's just like, and then you're like, okay, am, am I waiting for you to do something or are you waiting for me to do something? Because I'm not quite sure who's supposed to be taking. Anyone know what I'm talking about here? Okay, so we're all on the same page. If you've been a Christian for a while, you probably find yourself in one of those three camps at different stages. And so on the one hand, we go, yes, God's will feel life. God's got a plan for you. And we all go, amen. And on the other hand, we go, but it's tricky <laughs> sometimes to find And so today, really, I want to speak about finding that individual plan for you. And how do we go in that process? And it's really, I've got four or five core beliefs, which will frame your thinking in this way, that will enable you really just to to walk this journey with God. Uh, I just want to do a little bit of a recap of what we've covered in the first three weeks, because they really are quite helpful. Uh, Number one, uh, God cares more about who you become than what you do. And that's really important because we always think in terms of job description. What's the thing God wants me to do? But God cares about who you become more than what you uh, do. And really what God, who God wants us to become is, is a version of Jesus. 
You're a you version of Jesus, okay? So like a Cindy version of Jesus or a Ross version of Jesus or Sandra version of Jesus. But for every follower of Jesus, we want to be like Jesus. We want to look like Jesus. And, uh, and so that's really what we're going for. The second thing is that along this way, we're going to have to give something up. So often we've got to give up our idea of what we want in order to get what God has for us. And so we spoke about that and see did a great job of, of how we bury our seeds and like, God, I really have this desire, but I'm going to give it to you and trust that if it's in your timing, you're going to give it back to me. And that takes a lot of faith. The, what I spoke about a couple of weeks ago is that God wants us to be people of love. And if you want to be a person of love, you need to know how much God loves you. You know, if you make a law, I must love people, it's very exhausting because have you met some people, you know? Um, but when you, uh, <laughs> when you love by God and you receive His love for you and you know that you're loved, then it becomes so much easier to love people around you. Uh, Luther spoke last week about being led by the Spirit. Now, we need to be led by the Spirit that uh, God does speak to people. And so that's going to pop up a little bit in today's sermon, so I'm not going to elaborate too much on that. But here's the first core belief to help you navigate this thing. How do you find God's specific will for your life? Number one, God does have a will for your life. I don't want to assume that everyone here thinks, you know, God's got a will for my life. A specific will for your life? Yes, a specific will for your life. God's got a plan for you. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 10. It says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. God's got things that He's planned for you to do. And a part of that is God's plan for you to do something, and then He gives you gifts by His Holy Spirit to help you do those things. And then it says, if you're not using your gifts in the body, which is the church, then the whole church suffers. In other words, the gap that you leave is really a gap. And so God's got something specific for you to do. He's got good things that He planned for you to do long ago. Aren't you like the least bit curious what those things are? It's like, God, what are those things that you planned for me to do? Because, like, I really hope that they involve a lot of spearfishing <laughs> in exotic destinations around the world, you know? And that would be awesome. And sometimes I think God gives us dreams and passions and things that we love, and then He uh, likes us to live those out. But in many other ways, God wants us to bear uh, fruit for His kingdom. He wants us to impact people's lives for Jesus. Jesus actually, when he invited his disciples, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He gives them a job description in the invitation. It's amazing. He doesn't say, come follow me, full stop. Because that's like how, how we think, no, I'm just, I'm just going to follow Jesus. But Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you. I will make you. I will make you into fishers of men. And of course, Jesus was a fisher of men, the ultimate fisher of men. But he he's gives them a job description. Here's something for your life, some things that is going to shape you, that you're going to walk in, it's going to be your destiny. And he, it's involved in his very first time he calls people. And God has a, a destiny for your life. The fact that God chooses people and leads them is fundamental to the entire biblical story, the story of the Bible. You've got Noah, and God tells Noah to build a boat. 
Now, that's not that strange because lots of us like boats. But in Noah's day, it had never rained before. It says that there was a mist over the world. And so the concept of rain and a flood had never happened before. So when God tells you in the middle of dry land to build a boat, you've got to ask a few questions. Okay? But God tells Noah to build a boat. He builds the boat. And, of course, we now are all descendants of Noah. Okay? And his family because God saves eight people uh, from the flood. Then God comes to a man called Abraham and he tells him, leave your family and come on a really long camping trip with me. It's going to be a long camping trip. Imagine that conversation with your wife in all honesty. Because like my wife, she can camp a little bit. But like past a week, she's done, you know. Imagine going to your wife and saying, look, we're going to go camping. For how long? Just forever. <laughs> it's like awesome. Um, and they go. And it's like, they go and it's like, and where will I go? Like, no, I'll show you. You know, once you've left. It's like awesome. But like, which way do I walk out of the town? You know, like give me some starters. And, uh, and they go and along the way, God leads Abraham and leads Abraham and leads Abraham. God leads Moses to go back to Egypt. Moses escapes Egypt. They're trying to kill him. He escapes. He establishes life for himself. He's got a wife. He's got some kids. And God meets him and says, I want you to go back. And he's like, you don't understand? I just escaped there. Okay, well, just 40 years ago, but I'm still not keen to go back. Okay, he had some bad rep on that side. Um, And then God leads the people of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness. He leads them by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. He leads Joshua to walk around Jericho seven times. Here's your battle strategy, Joshua. People are going to be terrified. You're going to go, you're going to walk around the city once and then go back and camp. Okay. Next day, do it again. Do that for seven days. But on the seventh day, do it seven times. Because he knew like they had to work up their fitness. Like they couldn't just come straight to seven, you know, incremental changes. And the seventh time, and then you're going to blow a trumpet and the the walls are going to come down. You're like, they're going to be terrified. And of course, it happens. God leads his people. God leads Gideon. And there's a whole story of the fleece. And even now, another Christianese, we talk about putting out a fleece, which is from the story of Gideon, where he put out a fleece, and then there was dew on the fleece, but not on the ground. Then he did it again, and there was dew on the ground, but not on the fleece. So you can go buy a fleece now anywhere, a fleece jacket, leave it outside, see what God says. And then he leads Gideon to cut down his army to 300 men to go attack the Midianites. Now, you might not know this, but the Midianites were the most formidable fighting force of the day. And he says, take 300 people to battle. I don't know about you, but none of this seems like a really good plan. You know, It's like God asked them to do things which are a little bit out of the ordinary. And you might go, well, maybe that's just for really special people, people who the Bible tells stories about. But what about people like you and me? And there's this beautiful verse in Matthew 11, 11, where Jesus is speaking. He says, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was greater than Gideon and Moses and Abraham and all of them, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Whoa! The least person in the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus came to tell people about, is greater than all of these people, all of these heroes of faith that we've heard about. Why? Because we have a renewed nature by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So if God led those people, how much more does he want to lead you? It's rhetorical. You don't have to answer right now. 
And of course, there's the man that we all aspire to be like Jesus, who was led by the Spirit. And he said, I don't do anything I don't see the Father doing. That he was so connected to God that even at a small level, on a day-to-day level, he was saying, I want to see what the Father's doing. That's what I want to be about. And we're instructed, just like Jesus, to be led by the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit. So God has a plan for you. Second point. God's plan is for you to be fruitful. Because here's the thing, on the one hand, God's plan is for you to become like Jesus. And there are moments in the process of becoming like Jesus, which sometimes are a little bit uncomfortable. Because in Jesus' process of becoming like Jesus, there was involved 40 days of fasting in the wilderness and being tempted by the devil. And sometimes it feels like we're going through the same kind of thing. We're going through a wilderness thing. Now they're Christianese. A wilderness means things are bad and you can't really hear the voice of God and you don't know where he is. And we're like, what's going on? And in that process, God's making us to be like Jesus. But God doesn't just want you to be like Jesus in terms of character. He wants you to be like Jesus in terms of fruitfulness. Look at John 15, 16. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Just side note, this is so encouraging for me. Because there's moments I'm like, God, I don't know if I would have picked me for the job that you've asked me to do. But let's be very clear. I didn't choose you. You chose me. God chose you because he knows who you are and he knows what you're made to do. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. In the same passage, it says that it's God's will that you bear much fruit and so bring glory to my Father in heaven. In fact, you're my disciples when you bear much fruit. So God's will for your life is to be fruitful. Not just to be made more and more like Jesus, but to have fruit and fruit that lasts. In other words, God has blessing and abundance for you. You see, so many of us, we don't necessarily, you know, we struggle with that concept. Because we we really get it like when things are tough, we're like, God's making me more like Jesus. Awesome. But God also wants you to be fruitful. For there to be fruit from your life, so that at the end of your life, you're looking back and say, look at the fruit. For my father. I want to be a faithful worker. And look at Luke 12, 29, 32. It says, And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all around the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything you need. Look at this next verse. So don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your father great happiness or great joy or great pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's not like, here's the will of God, here's the kingdom of God. My job is to slowly pry open the fingers of God so he can give me what he wants. What it says is that it gives him great joy or happiness to give us the kingdom. And the kingdom is where the rule and reign of Jesus is. And what happens is we take Jesus, who lives inside of us by the power of the Spirit, and we extend his rule and reign to the sphere that God's placed us, to the area that God's placed us. But I want you to know this, that God's not like a stingy father that you've got to pry the will of God out of his hand. It gives him great joy to give you the kingdom. Point number three, God will lead you. It's a famous verse, so many of us will know it. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. 
Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. The first thing I want to point out is that the journey here is one of trust. Abraham's never going to leave home to go on a camping trip unless he trusts God. Moses is never going back to Egypt unless he trusts God. Gideon's never going to take on the Midianites unless he trusts God. And you're never going to enter into what God has for you unless you trust God. At some point, the trust, your faith levels in God are going to be stretched and you're going to be pulled and you're going to go like, oh God, this is intimidating and a little bit fearful and very uncomfortable, but I trust you. And you're going to have those seasons and you're going to get through it and then you're going to go, oh, I'm so glad that's over and then there's going to be another one. And you're going to get through that season and it's going to go, you're going to go like, oh, I'm glad it's behind me. And there's going to be another one because God wants us to grow by faith. And so God's going to invite us to this journey of trusting Him. And then it says, and do not depend on your own understanding. At some point, God's going to ask you to do something that doesn't make sense. You see, we think linear in linear ways. In other words, I go, I get an education, I get a good degree, I get a good job, I work there, I climb the corporate ladder. That's linear. We understand that. And so we plot our lives in terms of linear things. God doesn't think like that. He thinks right angle, you know, sh- turns. God does sometimes goes against the grain. So think about this. God sends fishermen or blue-collar workers to the educated Jewish people. And he sends a rabbi, Paul the Apostle, to the uneducated, in terms of biblical uneducated, Gentiles. Does that make any sense? I'll be like, no, send the rabbi to the Jews and send the blue-collar oaks to the Gentiles. He does it the exact opposite. God calls us, and then all of those people, again, like with Gideon and Moses and all these people, he asked them to do things that didn't make sense, that in the, the linear planning of their life, the, the, thought, the way they thought their life was going to go, at some point, God asked them to do something that does, didn't make sense, and don't be surprised that you'll come to a point in your life when you're like, I feel like God's telling me to do something, and it doesn't make sense, and you speak to someone, and they're going to go, that doesn't make sense. Are you sure? Make sure you're speaking to the right people at that time. God asks people to immigrate, and then he asks them to move back. I met the boroughs. Established in Sydney, seven years, and God says, move back to South Africa. Like for most people, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, other than the Aussies, being the Aussies, but I've got Australian families, I must be careful. Is the recording working? We'll use the one from the second service. Um, God asked me, like, I went to Jerusalem and God asked me to stay in Israel and I wanted to leave and I wanted to leave and I wanted to leave and I didn't understand and I was there for four years and a number of years after leaving Israel, I ended up marrying a girl that I met there two years into my stay. Like, you've got to understand that between month three and four years, I wanted to leave. And God said, stay. And then I left. And I was like, what was the point of this? And only a few years later, I was like, ooh, that was worth it. (laughs) Investment. Good planning, God. You know? And so sometimes you're doing something and you're in the will of God. And it will be years before you realize, if at all, what God was doing in that season. At some point, trust has to trump logic. Point number four, and this really is the one that gives me such encouragement 
God will finish what he started. Philippians 1.6, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I have more confidence in God fulfilling his will in my life than my getting it right in following his leading. Because at some point, you're going to be faced with the fact that we're going to mess up some stuff up. We're going to miss some opportunities. God's going to give us a chance. We're going to respond in fear and not faith. We're not going to take it. And we're going to go like, did I mess that up? And let me tell you, there's not a person in the scriptures who didn't at some level mess it up. And there won't be a person in this room who won't at some level mess it up. But God will still work all things for your good and accomplish his will for you. Look at the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Every single one of those people made mistakes. Look at the people that I spoke about. Abraham. You know, we've got another Christian who's called, I'm throwing them out today. You know, you, you need to have an Isaac, not an Ishmael, which means Isaac was the son of promise and Ishmael was the son of their own efforts. In other words, don't try and force the hand of God and take things into your own hand. I mean, it's used as a Christianese slogan for a mess up and it was Abraham's and he's called the father of faith Sarah is there in the hall of faith for her faith that she could have a child but when the angel came and said you're going to have a child she laughed and then they said you laughed and she said no I didn't <laughs> said no you did I said no I didn't <laughs> And you can go through every single one of those people who are in the hall of faith and every single one of them at some point got it wrong, messed up, responded out of fear, tried to make their own plan, took a left-hand turn instead of a right-hand turn, and in every single one of them, God used their mistakes and their mess-ups and their frailties and helped them get back on course. And so the point here is... Do we find the will of God or does the will of God find us? Both. But which one more? I don't care answering that question. Both. We're led by God and God's will finds us. God's will is seeking us and God wants to, He can orchestrate events in our life to lead us. Psalm 32, 8 to 9 says this, says, The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. And I want to speak that to you today. God will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Not like the second best or like an okay one or an average. The best pathway for your life. Aren't you so interested to say, God, I want to know your voice. I want to be led by you. I will advise you and I will watch over you. Then he says, do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit or, and a bridle to keep it under control. In other words, sometimes he's guarding and sometimes he's steering. But he's still working in our life. I want to tell you some stories of God, people that God steered. He, God takes Joseph and he gives him some dreams. He puts stuff in his heart. And Joseph is a little bit, you know, confident, overconfident, sure of himself because he's his dad's favorite son. He goes and tells his brothers, he's like, hey, God says I'm basically going to be your boss one day. And they're like, this is awesome, little brother. <laughs> I've got a little brother. Anyway, moving on. Um, 
And then he's sold into slavery, and then he ends up in prison. And it's an amazing thing that in the transition between slavery, where he's in Potiphar's house, and he's, you know, things are going well for him, he's got some stuff going on, then he ends up in prison, and he says, and Joseph was in prison, and God was with Joseph in prison. And at that point, I'm going, excuse me? Where are you, God? And God was with Joseph in prison. And here's the thing. Does that mean that this is an example of God, in a sense, orchestrating events beyond Joseph's control to steer his life? And that doesn't mean that God dealt that hand to Joseph. Because Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So God took the evil of other people in Joseph's lives and turned that for good. You get David who gets anointed without being asked to become the next king of Israel. He's out shepherding the sheep. He gets invited back. He gets anointed. Uh, and then he kills Goliath. And then he's at direct loggerheads with Saul, who, by the way, is a madman, and tries to kill him numerous times and plunges him into the situation of complete adversity and surrounds him, uh, David, with, with this adversity. And he runs for his life for years and years and years. And David comes out of that experience with this prayer. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. He guides me. I thought Saul was chasing you. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You might find yourself in difficult seasons, Don't think that A, God's not guiding you in that space. B, He's not using that for His ultimate purpose for your life. And C, one of my favorite verses, I would have lost heart unless I believed I see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, that God can turn that situation around and use it for good and blessing and fruitfulness in your life. And I really want to emphasize this point that sometimes we're led by God and sometimes stuff happens, but God can be involved in both of them because otherwise there's such a weight that we feel that I need to get it right and I could mess this thing up, mess the will of God up for my life. Let me tell you, God's will wants to find you. But there's an encouragement. Don't be like the horse or the mule that needs to be... Be led by Him. Be drawn by Him. Follow him. When last did you go to God and say, God, I want your will for my life. God, I want what's best for me. I want what's best for my family. And it might not make sense. And and you might ask me to do stuff which isn't logical and is a little bit scary and take some faith. But God, I want your will for my life. I want to end with this verse which... I've really have found such an encouragement this last season of my life. It says, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. To God who will fulfill his purpose for me. God's intention is to fulfill his purpose for your life. To bring you to fruitfulness, to fruit that remains. I don't know what season you're in 
You know, you might be in the really fruitful season or you might be in the valley of the darkest valley shadow season. I don't know, it's bad. You might be in a really tough space. I want, I want to say to you, cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill His purpose for you, who can find you wherever you are, whatever mistakes you've made, whatever's happened to you, and redeem you and that situation and turn it around for good as He works His will and His purpose through you to bless the people around you. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much that you're a God of purpose, that you have a good will, that your heart for us is good, that you're a loving Father. And God, I just pray for people who have lost hope that you have a good plan for their life, that they'd have the courage to pray that prayer again. God, here's my life. Use me. I want your will for my life. I want your plan. And I pray, God, that you open their eyes and you help them to see where you've positioned them, see where you've placed them, see what you've given them. That, Father God, you've given them things to bless the people around them. I thank you, God, that you are faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen.